Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. Books of Discovery has been a part of massage therapy education for over 20 years. Thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. In these trying times, this beloved publisher is dedicated to helping educators with online-friendly digital resources that make instruction easier and more effective in the classroom or virtually. Books of Discovery likes to say learning adventures start here. They see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast, and they're proud to support our work knowing we share the mission to bring the massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. So check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, physiology at booksofdiscovery.com, where Thinking Practitioner listeners can save 15% by entering Thinking at checkout. In one of our previous episodes, Till had a conversation with Judith Aston about some of the challenges associated with being a woman educator in our field. The genesis for this conversation came about when Till and I were discussing a common theme that gets brought up but we think warrants greater attention. That is why the educational landscape in our field, mainly the CE education sector, is so much more dominated by men even though our profession is much more dominated by women. We wanted to have some discussions with women in our field that represented different sectors of the field and hear more about their perceptions on this topic. We do recognize that a full and robust discussion on this topic should have voices that represent the greater diversity in our field, so this is really just a starting point for these discussions. Some assumptions for these discussions include an acknowledgement that there are many more women practicing in our field than men. However, there isn't always a corresponding representation of women in conference presentations, CE providers, and other places where many perceive the leaders of our profession to be. We also want to acknowledge some of the phenomenal achievements of women who have clearly made a huge impact on our field and continue to provide outstanding leadership and guidance for the future. Today, we're going to extend that theme and hear from some of the other voices from the field with three special guests that Till and I had the pleasure of talking with. In the first part, I have a discussion with C.G. Funk, Senior Vice President of Culture and Industry Relations with the Massage Heights franchise. In the second segment, Till talks at length with Ruth Werner, author of A Massage Therapist's Guide to Pathology. The episode then concludes with massage CE educator, author, and clinician Irene Diamond. We wanted to ask all three of them some of the same questions and hear some input from different perspectives from within the field of their experience as women leaders in our field. So without further ado, let's get started and jump in with my conversation with C.G. Funk. Tell me, C.G., as a teacher and a leader in our field, you've been doing this for a very long time. And I'm curious, do you feel that being a woman has held you back in any way or caused challenges for you that maybe men may not have had? Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me today, Whitney. So as you know, my past includes years of teaching in massage schools. You know, it's really where um, I started. And I always felt very accepted as a woman in the classroom and, and even with school leadership and my peers. Um, teaching always came natural to me. And, you know, as you know, I love sharing with all the massage students ways to address and heal the body through therapeutic touch. But in leadership roles, after my many years of teaching, there were challenges, you know, coming from the massage world and not a business world. I experienced many situations where I didn't feel valued with what I brought to the table. I was surrounded by men. And I was ostracized quite a bit in the corporate setting. I mean, really, I just have had to kept showing showing up. That basically, I just kept showing up. 
And, you know, it's interesting that the perception was in their minds, I was a wacky massage therapist, not a businesswoman. Because, you know, in the massage world, we, we have a different speak. We speak a different right. way. And we yes. look at things a different way. And we um, interact a different way. But in, the real- in reality, my personality is, is I can straddle both worlds. So I can straddle this with one foot in the massage world. And I can straddle this other foot in the business world. And it took years, though, to be taken seriously. So I, well, just, I just wanted to jump in, you know, also say that I do believe that if I had been a male in that position, I would have been, it would have been a much easier time. And I also want to say that it's different today. Yeah. So how did that shift for you? Because obviously you moved up into very high positions in the companies that you've been with, and you've gotten national recognition as a tremendous leader and influencer from so many of the positions that you've held. How did you see that shift over time? Did that, was it just kind of like gradually people recognizing the value of your contributions and then changing or, or how did that change for you? Yeah, I think that, I think, you know, for me um, in the leadership role, you know, with the corporate um, um, entity I was with back then, it was more the, the recognition for my participation and, um, involvement came from outside in the massage and spa industry, mm-hmm. not from inside. Yeah. And yeah. so that recognition grew. Now, if you were working with, you know, um, uh, outside of the executive team, which I sat on the executive team and I sit on one today, but if you worked with people that weren't in that within the organization, it was kind of a different acceptance, but I can tell you that my reputation did, grew more and was valued more from the spa and massage industry than it was internally, but Mm -hmm. that's changed over time. And, you know, especially in, in spa, in spa resorts, spa franchise world, there are so many more female leaders today than there were back then. And where I work today at Massage Heights, I'm surrounded by strong women. Our CEO is a woman, our CFO, our legal department, our founder. And so, you know, I've, been sitting at had a front row seat at watching that change um and i i see this in other organizations as well these you know women in these leadership roles now that you would not have found you know 15 years ago you wouldn't have found it right you know and in trying to make some you know i'm trying to look at this and, and make sure i'm not making inappropriate sort of evaluations of things going on i was trying to look at several different categories things like professional associations, uh, you know, organizations that uh, might have, you know, legislative input, uh, you know, the CE world. And one of the things that I was kind of seeing, and I don't have really good statistics on this, but it sure appears as if there's, you know, clearly there's a a very strong, um, you know, greater percentage of women in our field uh, as the people who are primarily doing the the day-to-day work. There's a a greater number of practitioners that are women by, by a long shot, but that, representation doesn't always get reflected in some of the organizations and other things that are out there. Now, it seems like there's a pretty good representation of a larger percentage of women in like some of the professional associations and the certification boards and the, in the, um, you know, accreditation bodies with content, things like that. But the one place that I don't see it as much is in the sort of the, the CE world with a lot of the, um, you know, the CE classes that are out there and some of the, uh, perceptions of the individuals that are sort of leading the CE world. 
it's really interesting that you asked me this question because I was asking the same question to myself a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know when we look out there, there are very few nationally and internationally known massage CE educators that are female. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I've been wondering why, and I wonder, do current, do current CE male C- providers, do they only employ other males as their assistants? Because right. that's definitely a place that if you want to be a national provider that you would start as yeah. an assistant mm-hmm. or does our industry as a whole have an unrecognized prejudice when selecting a CE class? Yeah. So that's another thing. Or, you know, I mean, when I taught massage school, most of the instructors were female, mm-hmm. but outside school, we have so many more men teaching than women. And I did wonder, are women less likely wanting to travel a hundred days on the road from city to city? Yeah. Or is there a confidence challenge with them? You know, my my other thing when I started going down this little rabbit hole is I don't see many new younger CE providers in general making it nationally these days. So I kind of wonder, has the profession lost its mentorship approach that was real prevalent in the 80s and 90s? And, you know, the other part of that is, is that when you look at our national providers now, like, you know, like you, Whitney, you've created your whole system and structure. For basically, you created your own modality, mm-hmm. um, and so I don't see that happening at all. Um, but there is—it's it, interesting that that many women there there aren't many. I mean, I can think of one Tina Allen, who mm-hmm. has a she has international recognition, yeah. you know, for her work with with children and maternity massage and all of that good stuff. But I honestly, I know a lot of CE provided women's, but they're regional. You yeah. know, they don't. They don't get it to the big times. I do think that there's still, as you mentioned, a, a bias about, you know, women being of the same academic um, sort of uh, proclivity as, as some of the men might be in those positions that they, they, it's just like in academia. I think, you know, men will often get advancements before women will, even when they're equally qualified for, for those different positions. I think there's just right. still some, some instinctive bias in, in the population that attends these classes. So, right. Right. Um, I do. I mean, it, it's interesting. Um, but you know, I think it can change and it's more of, I don't know how I haven't put that much thought into it, but you yeah. know, you and I have done a lot of things in our career where we made stuff up and it worked. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and I always thought too, it'd be an interesting experiment. I don't think I could pull it off now, but you know, at a time when maybe I was, um, you know, not as well known, you know, if I had a CE class, that was advertised. It didn't have my picture up there uh, because I have a name, which is more commonly associated with women, you know, like, would I get a different degree of attendance to that class? Uh, if people thought I was a woman versus a man, I would be curious. Yeah, you to know could that. do it like in a pink color or something, you know, yeah, just to right. like make it make the ad look like more feminine. That's right. really yeah. interesting. Super interesting. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. So, I don't know how I could set up the the research study to figure that out, but some some way or another. <laughs> so, so in terms of, I'm always about solutions. You know, um, trying to find like how do we address this. So, do you have any kind of um, ideas or aspirational thoughts of like, what's the way to change this? You brought up another interesting point too, but, and I had wondered if this was just sort of my imagination, not seeing things, but I would also agree that I haven't seen as much of a a movement of new people coming onto the circuit for teaching CE classes, at least 
or even volunteering for work in the associations as we used to see um, a, a bit ago. So how do we get more, especially more women, but more people in general interested in doing some of these things and really, you know, moving our profession forward and being more reflective of who we are? Yeah, it's, you know, you know, I went to school in the early 90s. Um, and so back then, it was almost that the massage profession was a connected profession. I mean, we, you know, we were involved from students on um, with association work and local work and knowing who the, you know, the visionary, you know, instructors were back then. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of folks that I learned from in CEU classes and stuff. And there seems to be in our, in our industry, in our massage industry, there's a big disconnect now. And when I think about this, I... I wonder if it if that disconnect was created through education. And I don't, I'm not dissing any schools and I'm not, you know, pointing fingers or anything. But if you think about the the massage education, um, how what it looked like between the year 2000 and like 2012, it was really majorly different than it was in the 90s. Oh yeah. Um yeah. and so. Of course, there's many of those schools that don't even exist or those programs don't even exist anymore because it was kind of a vocational school play Mm -hmm. as opposed to these beautiful founder massage therapists from the 70s and 80s opening their own schools because they love the work, you know, and maybe that's where it starts. You know, maybe it starts through, um, um, you know, the small business owner um, looking again at this as a potential business for them. Um, I mean, you know, I've spent the last 15, 20 years of my career um, doing programs and initiatives that outreach to massage therapists, you know, across the country. And they're not an easy group to get to, you know, once they leave school, um, you know, they're, you know, they scatter and they, um, they work behind closed doors all day. And so, you know, I think if I look at the associations are suffering because of that, um, th- this idea of, you know, connection, I don't think COVID has helped at all with the pandemic um, and the closing of schools. So there's no anchor point for those therapists, those graduates anymore. Um, that's probably all contributed to it. I don't have any answers today, but I'd sure like to sit down with you with a bottle of wine and we can right. hash through it. <laughs> we'll come up with the grand scheme, the grand solution. There you, yeah. go. There yeah. you go. Well, I do think it is so um, important and so valuable for us to call attention to some of the incredible trailblazers of our profession who really have done those things. And you are certainly an icon for, I think, a lot of women in our profession to have achieved some really stupendous things along your career uh, with a wide variety of things that you've done, both in teaching and with your work with different organizations and in leadership positions in the corporate level and, and getting, you know, a lot of corporate structure to understand the bizarre world of, of massage therapy aesthetics and those types of things. So um, I think you've been a wonderful um, role model for so many people. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that for a while so we can point, point people in your direction to see that this, these kinds of things are certainly possible. Well, thank you, Whitney. And, you know, I've always had really high regard for you and all the work you've done. And I've enjoyed working with you throughout the years. And yeah. um, I'm glad you're still around because <laughs> like, people are leaving. A little while longer. Yeah. 
a little while yeah. longer, I think, at least. Good, yeah, so. good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, great. Well, CG, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate this. And we'll see if we can um, make some um, groundbreaking changes in, in the world of, of uh, hands-on healing for people in the future as well. So thank you well, so thank much you for, for everything Well, thank you for having me today. Yeah. And um, I love this this podcast idea that you have. And I'm going to share it everywhere, for you know, because what you guys are doing is really opening the conversations and and starting people thinking about this and that's where change starts you know yes. that's uh-huh. how it starts so thanks Whit. absolutely all right take care and now till we'll pick this up with his interview with ruth werner thanks to my guest today ruth werner thanks for being here with me happy to be here as always what about there being so few women teachers in our field that's the question we're exploring and you were on our list of people we want to talk to and get your uh Get your take on that, Ruth. So thanks for that. I I have a few opinions. Do you? Good. (laughs) Good. So first question on my side is, how do we know this is even an issue? What is our, because this didn't even occur to me as a question until one of my guests says, oh, really? Is that the case that there are fewer women? So how do we know that this is an issue and why? That's an excellent question. I think, um, I think I would maybe draw a line between women continuing education providers versus women who are in the, you know, core curriculum classrooms. Okay. I think uh, probably there's a significant difference there. With presumably more balance between men and women. At that the would be that would level? be my guess, or or even you know balanced toward women being um, teachers more as a reflection of. The population of our profession as well. Which is mostly in the massage therapy, uh, 80, 85% women, according to the ABMP's latest demographic right. survey. And it's been that way for a really, really long time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So are there, uh, you're saying that may, probably, and this is what conventional wisdom is saying now, that in the continuing education world, the most visible teachers are men. And when you see Lots of advertisements with men and lots of panels with men. And that the awareness of that is certainly shifting. This, I mean, it's been brought to my attention that I've been part of things like that. So that's got my interest in exploring this question a little more. But uh, do you agree? And are there downsides, costs, whatever, to that situation? <laughs> yeah, I'll agree. And I think an easy way to, to take a temperature on this would be to look at lists of, of presenters, especially of presenters about technique. Yeah. Um, who are uh, appearing at the, you know, national level kinds of meetings. Right. So AMTA and World Massage Festival and <clears throat> um, the larger chapters. Uh, I, I think if you looked at who are the headliners about the sexy new neck technique or, you know, how to fix low backs or whatever, um, you're going to find a lot more men in those positions than you will women. And, and, and your second question is, is that a bad thing? Yeah. Um, well, it's not a great thing. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's a, you know, and I, I think it is a truth for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, but when we think about this field, which struggles to be recognized as a profession, and sometimes I will use the term profession, but it, it always, doesn't feel like the perfect fit. Uh-huh. Um, when we think about this field uh, and and its obstacles, hmm. oh gosh, 
I'm going down a rabbit hole and I'm not sure how committed I am to this, but I am right. in this moment. Okay. Well, one of the obstacles. A reminder that uh, <laughs> editing is always an option. Oh, good. <laughs> that, that'll, that's good. You'll, yeah, you'll rewind. <laughs> um, uh, one of the things I think this field struggles with is in taking itself seriously. Uh, and and stepping up to the responsibilities that we would have as professionals if we saw ourselves and treated ourselves as professionals, trying to carve out you know relationships with our allied colleagues, right? Okay. And um, there is, I can only speak to my own perceptions and experience. But I have a lot of this experience of massage therapists really, really, really wanting someone to tell them what to do, mm. which is makes my life as a pathology teacher. It, 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 it makes part of the job that I do especially important. Important because you you help people know how and whether to work on people with different pathologies. I don't tell people how and whether to work. You don't. What I do do. Tell me is help people determine what are the variables that need to go into that decision. Okay. Nice. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there are a few situations where I say, yeah, no, that's a really bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. But almost always there's a way to work safely and professionally and lovingly with someone, even who has a complicated condition. I'm with, I'm with you. You know, and my job is to help people figure out what, how can I maximize benefits and minimize risks? I mean, that's sort of my whole zeitgeist of how there's I a whole teach. conversation there, isn't there? I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to step in that rabbit hole because the fact that the the third most visited page on our site has the word contraindications in it. That seems to be the search term that catches people. So we want to know, like, is it okay? But that's a whole other subject. Right. And I think, you know, if I would reframe that, we want to know what the risks are. Yeah. Nice. Which is a little different from, do I have permission? Yeah. But to get back to my original, my original <laughs> okay, path, thank you. thank you. my sense is, and, and maybe it's less now than it was when I was more involved in um, beginning education. Yeah. But my sense is as a profession, massage therapists are in search of someone who will tell them what to do. Okay. Um, and as a culture, mm-hmm. We like to hear that kind of guidance from men. And I, I'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing. It is just, a, it's a thing, right? That, that two people can say the same thing, but if it comes out in a higher register, for whatever reason, you don't take it as seriously as the person who speaks in a bass tone. Interesting. And <laughs> thinking of Margaret Thatcher talking about needing to lower her register to right. speak. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I wish that weren't true, but uh-huh. it is. Um, and we have a number of men in our profession who are really, really talented and really skilled and great communicators and wonderful teachers. Uh, and so they, um, are doing what they're good at and they're providing a wonderful service to the world. And at the same time, I just have to wonder how many women are, talented and skilled and great communicators, but for whatever reason are having um, a harder time breaking into, and here I'm talking specifically about teaching continuing education in technique. Okay. 
and a, a um, an exception to that would be in techniques, hands-on work in the context of um, medically frail people and in the context of people who have cancer, because really the leading teachers in those fields um, are mostly not men. Yeah. But the leading teachers in the field of orthopedic work, injury rehab, um, mm -hmm. structural integration, um, the things maybe that take more physical power to do hmm. are mostly men. Hmm. And that's not a reflection of our profession. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I have to wonder what we're missing out on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and is there, is there a downside to that? Is there a cost we're paying? Yeah. Um, well, I have to wonder what we're missing because yeah. I mean, here, here among a million other things till your body mechanics and the way you can lean into the work that you do is mm -hmm. going to be different from the way a woman does because we have breasts and we have a different center of gravity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. I run into that all the time, actually. Yeah. In the classes. And it's so important that we have on our teaching team, we have women who can uh, adapt what I just get in there and take a hold of and do mm -hmm. and make me realize I'm using the privilege of my size and large hands to do it. So there's, there's that. Right. And we, you know, from the first day of massage school, we are told it doesn't matter if you're small. It doesn't matter if your hands are little, Yeah, we will teach you how to have the power to do really great work. Uh -huh. except in, you know, with those high level continuing education technique classes, I I'm not at all sure that that actually happens. Okay. So that's um, a I'll invite you to our class. A, could be a problem. Yeah, I would love to, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm with you on the field, yeah. but that's something that, yeah, I'm, we're really thinking hard about on our side for sure. Okay. So then personally for you, then are there as, as a teacher in this field, you're not in the technique niche per se, but do you feel that being a woman has held you back in any way? Only in the sense that I have held myself back. Hmm. And that's a whole other, that's a whole other sort of cultural thing. So I don't know how much of this is due to being a woman, but I will, I will share with you some history, right? So I have a long history of appearing at large scale meetings yeah. and having my sessions compete with guys who are teaching big classes. And that's fine. Have no problem with that. And a lot of times my classes are populated by people who tried to get into the technique classes and they did, there was no room and they had to do something. So they come and see me. Um, and then they become really enthusiastic about learning what I have to, to offer. And that's great. I have no problem with this. <laughs> right. But when it came time for me to think about trying to do my work on the same scale yeah. as the, as the, as the guys, uh -huh. I ran into a lot of, a lot of problems that may have been self-imposed. And, you know, one of them is about risk aversion and you and I have, we had, I think we did a whole episode on risk aversion at That's some right. point. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, there was one time, for instance, I remember this very clearly because I took a bath on it. I, oh. where I decided, okay, I'm going to try this. I, I rented a space and I bought mailing lists and I sent out, you know, this was pre, Good for you. Yeah. pre email mostly. Right. Um, and I booked, you know, I, I really, really hammered it and I had enough enrollment to 
barely cover my uh-huh. costs. Uh-huh. And then it was 9-11 oh, yeah. and everything got canceled right. and I lost, you know, a couple of thousand dollars. Yep. And that's, I mean, that's I'm not, I'm not complaining about that, except that it made it clear to me, you know, as a, as a, as a, a primary breadwinner in a home with a couple of kids that I could not afford to take that kind of risk on a regular basis. And while it might be more lucrative for me to arrange my own stuff, it feels safer and, and, and just a better fit. And is it, it is, it's just a better fit for me to work with hosts who pay me a set fee. So that is a, that is an obstacle I have put in my own way. I, I, I associate that with being a woman mainly because of risk aversion things and that it may be completely wrong. Um, but I, you know, it makes, it makes me wonder when you or, or some of our colleagues say, I'm going to go teach a workshop in Portland and you make all your upfront investments. I mean, I know a certain number of those just don't go through, uh-huh. but I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of imposter syndrome. I, I don't know that I could fill a class and make it and, and make it run and make, and make any money off of it. I'd rather have someone else be responsible for all that work. Yeah. No, I think a lot of people can relate to you and it's what you're saying. I certainly can. And uh, there probably are some uh, ways that that falls along gender lines. Of course, some of that's universal, of course, too. There's just some of us would rather go work for someone. Some of us are more entrepreneurial. But I bet we could be having the same conversation about entrepreneurs. As opposed to, uh, you know, hands-on bodywork therapists or teachers, something like that. Okay, what what about? And I, and I and I appreciate the nuance of what you're talking about because you're there's a difference between the possible causes or factors at work or personal pieces or systemic pieces. All those are different levels, and they're all stirred up in there together for all of us. But really, I mean, you're helping me kind of unpack this question of what it's like to be a woman teaching in this field and how we might be uh, awake or not to the forces holding us each back. And when you say teaching in this field, do you mean yeah. in massage therapy altogether or, or I, specifically in continuing education? Conti- uh, I think conti- my, my purview is not even massage therapy per se, although the majority of people in the classes are massage therapists, but hands-on manual therapy, at least here in the U S most people that come to my classes, 70% or so are massage therapists. So that's the, my biggest single component, but um, I lump that in together with other, you know, raw first structure integrators, people who don't even movement therapists who use hands-on work as well. So that kind of somatic or, hand, or manual therapy, physical mm-hmm. therapists, physical therapy assistants in particular, more and more acupuncturists or people in, uh, you know, traditional Chinese medicine also are coming to our classes. So there's, it's a, it's in my little window, it's a mix across professions, but I know that the, what I get uh, my attention drawn to is in this massage therapy field. And, and, and you're talking about professional development rather yeah, than core curriculum. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, there, there's, a, there's a pretty bright line there about where people are represented. Okay. Or maybe it's, maybe it's perceived expertise because, this, again, this has come up on a few panels I've been invited to. It's like, wait a minute, we forgot to invite any women. How did that happen? <laughs> you know, 
or uh, it's <laughs> it's all kinds of things, all kinds of places that I get embarrassed uh, to be woke and woken up to this fact that there's not women with me there. Well, and you know, I've seen and had conversations with people recently about equity and representation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, among the challenge, it, it becomes a circular problem where some people are not being invited to the table, but where do we find them? Mm-hmm. And, and, and you and I were talking about this the other day, there is a sense about women doing aggressive self-promotion on the same level as a lot of men who are promoting their work in continuing education and massage. But if yeah. women do that, there's a, there's a weird taste that gets left in one's mouth. And I am as guilty of this as anybody. When mm. I see my women peers behaving in ways that I would consider aggressively aggressive self-promotion. It is a weird taste. Yeah. It okay. So you're little... saying that when there's, when a man uh, does it, and we're not going to mention any names, but you know who you are. Uh... <laughs> Whitney. No, I'm kidding. Of course. <laughs> right. The uh, least aggressive self-promoter on the maybe planet. Maybe <laughs> cut a little more slack to us guys. I'll put myself in that group who do a fair amount of promotion and maybe even Which aggressively. Is... Yeah. Yeah. There's a difference between self-promotion that says, I have a great opportunity. I think you'll really like it and it will uh-huh. enrich your work as opposed to I'm really good at this. Come and see how good I am. You'll be so happy that you spent time with me because I'm so good, you know? Okay. And, oh God, I'm not sure I want any of this to go on in the recording at <laughs> all. <laughs> now we're getting there. Good. We're getting the good stuff. <laughs> but do you see the difference? Totally. And so, you know, I could be accused of aggressive self-promotion because I'm just producing an enormous amount of stuff right now with the podcast and the articles and CE classes and all kinds of things. Uh But I really try to, I work hard at promoting that in a way that says, here's something that might be useful for you. You might want to check it out. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, look, aren't you lucky you get to work with me today? Yes. (laughs) I can say that as a guy, as a man, um, I also find a lot of that distasteful. And I also have my own personal edges to that. And it's been an ongoing question for me about how to find my way into the marketing style or the promotional style that feels right to me. Mm-hmm. But I completely acknowledge too what you're saying uh, with the, again, the women that teach with me, the women I'm married to, learning from them about uh, those same issues, but perhaps at even a different uh, level of impact or a different societal norm that they're working uphill against, those kinds of things. Yeah, I keep coming back to the fact that um, my mother was the first woman in her family ever to finish going to college and to work outside the home. Yeah. That's really close, right? you know? And she raised four kids on a sing- as a single parent in the 60s and 70s. Um, and yet, even though she was so... Um, nonconformist, we all grew up with very specific ideas about what the girls do and what the boys do. Mm. And um, I am really happy to see in, in my children and the way they are creating their families that those gender, sorry, sex-based silos are a, a lot fuzzier than mm. they used to be. Um, but that that sort of um, evolution that takes some time, and this is why I'm really excited to see what happens in 
coming generations of massage therapists and educators. Me too. And I'm, I'm also, as you're talking, I'm thinking it's mostly us old guys. And if I think about the up and coming next generations, there's a lot more, a lot fewer guy faces there, I can say, you know, even 10 years younger than me. It'd be fascinating to, uh, to look at say, you know, uh, an AMTA slate of presenters from 10 years ago versus this year. I had never thought to do that. All right. So given that, what do you have advice for women interested in teaching in this realm? Mm -hmm. I don't know if, I mean, if I, if I knew someone who was a really gifted, dynamic, powerful teacher of technique who wanted to follow in footsteps similar to yours or some of the other um, sort of, you know, national and internationally. Well, wait a minute. Known. I'm sorry, but what if they wanted to follow in your footsteps? Oh, well then get in touch with me and I'll, I will, well, you I tell will them? show you the path because okay. yeah. I need people who want to do my stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, no, but what, what would you say? What's one or oh, two things you would. Well, I mean, what I, my advice was you had, okay, uh, let's say, to, well, sorry, I'm interrupting you multiple times here, <laughs> but let's say you have two people okay. writing you after this episode. One's a woman, <laughs> one's a guy. Uh-huh. What would you say to the woman that you might not emphasize quite so much to the guy? Oh gosh. I don't know that there would be a difference right. for me. Okay. That's an interesting question. I'm, I'm, I, I am not. not seeing anything. I mean, the way that I went about it is a way that I think would still really work, which is to start locally with your chapter or local organizations that produces CEs. Yeah. Maybe do something for free in local schools just to get your licks in. Yeah. And then start applying to work with chapters or other relatively small scale meetings. Fantastic. And then go from there because you got to, you know, you have to chop wood, carry water for a little while. Got to cut your teeth somewhere. Yeah. And if you prove yourself to be really easy to work with, Uh right, you get your stuff turned in on time. You are not unpleasant about, you know, your needs and you, and you are a good teammate. Those are really good pieces of advice that some of us have had to learn the hard way, but go ahead. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I figure anytime someone wants to give me money to do a thing that I Uh want to do. Yes then it is in my best interest to make them really glad uh-huh. that we chose to work together, Nice, you know? And so I'll go out of my way to, to figure out what's your system. How does my work fit within your system? How can I make you look great? Because that's going to make me look great. Dang. Um, that's why we keep inviting you back as a guest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Except there's no money changing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. <here. laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, and I, you know, I, I don't know if that's a trait that is more feminine than masculine. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. No, that's um, an interesting it, point. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not being deferential. It's just no. looking, it's just being solution oriented. And it's, it's, it's somehow it, being able to put myself in the other party's shoes and consider their interests, experience, and the impact of what I'm doing, mm-hmm. which having uh, taught preschool, um, that I could say that was the job of most four-year-old, three, four-year-old boys, mm-hmm. more than girls, is to understand that what they do has an impact on somebody else. 
So I'm right. right with you. That's a hard, that can be a really hard thing to learn because you're so locked into yourself. Yeah. Right. And maybe women are, you know, just because of our role in this particular culture, a little more attuned to looking at, okay, I just did that thing. How is this going to blow back on me? Yeah. You know, is that going to blow back in a good way or in a bad way? I don't, you know, mm-hmm. that really boy, good. that that's, that's a whole different can of worms, isn't it? Yeah. How so? How do you, th- how do you think? Oh, I'm thinking about safety. Oh, you know, like I just made, I, I moved. So I went to high school. I started high school in, in Southern Colorado, got a chance to get into a really high level in uh, Manzanola. Manzanola and Fowler. Actually, we lived in Manzanola. I went to high school in Fowler. Okay. <laughs> it's it's southern southeastern corner. That's my state, but I don't know the southeastern corner. Okay, I'm with yeah. you. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. And then I got a chance to go to get into a really high level, fancy schmancy prep school in Boston. Uh, and a, I went there and and lived with my father, who hadn't lived with anybody in a long time, and. Uh, and uh, went to this fancy prep school and, and from which I took the subway home every day. No one ever told me, ever, don't make eye contact with people on the subway. I, it took me a while to learn that if you make eye contact with the wrong person, they follow you home. You know, more than yeah. once I had to duck into a little grocery store and wait wow. for them to go away. Wow. Um, and, and, and because of that, maybe that's something, maybe that's one of those things that taught me you have to evaluate every, every pebble that you toss in the, in the pond is going to yeah. have ripples. Right. You better be watching for where those ripples are. Wow. Yeah. Yep. And so, yeah. Um, and so when I am working with someone on a, on a, on a, in a partnership, you know, in a money-making partnership, I want to make sure to the best of my ability that my, my participants, the people who, who attend the class are getting everything that I promised plus a little bit more. Yes. And that the presenter of the class is really glad that I'm there presenting. Those are my two highest priorities. And, um, I don't know if that's an exclusively feminine approach to thing, but it definitely has worked out well for me. As you're talking, I'm just thinking, and I don't know if this is exclusively masculine, but I'm thinking the third one I add to my list is, do I really enjoy it? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't do it if I didn't because, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Are my participants getting what they want? Is my organizer getting their value and getting thrilled? And am I enjoying it? Well, I always feel like, I mean, I have the privilege of being able to only teach things that I'm really into. Yeah. Okay. So that's a given you're saying. So, yeah. I mean, I have been offered, will you please come and do a presentation on X, Y, and Z? And it's like, I, no, I am not interested. (laughs) It does nothing for me. And there's a million people who could do a better job. All right. Well, thank you, Ruth. Is there anything else you want to make sure we underline before we wrap it up? I, yeah, no, not, I don't think so. I mean, I hope, I hope there's something useful in there. That's not incendiary. Oh, I hope there's something incendiary in there. <laughs> that would be useful. Send your letters and postcards <laughs> to Till. There you go. Luca. Uh, well, thanks for taking time from your busy schedule again to come talk with me and help Happy me explore this issue. Happy to be here. As always. <laughs> Pleasure. It was a tough one for sure. It's tricky. It's, it's tricky territory.
And I think it's awesome that two middle-aged white guys are willing to, um, (laughs) willing to, (laughs) uh, you know, shine, shine a light on this. Uh Um, it's, it takes some guts for those of us who are in privileged positions to say, yeah, I'm in a position of privilege. I need to learn more about that. Well, that's my interest. I want to learn more about it. I want to make sure that I'm, uh, not contributing to any downsides. And I think, yeah, not to mention all the universalities here, all the things I hear and I go, oh yeah, I feel that too. I think about that too. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Ruth. So I've got some other questions here. I'm going to address to Irene Diamond here. And uh, she's been a massage therapist since 1995 in San Francisco. Uh, and so uh, Irene, I want to ask a couple things uh, about your experience in the field. You've been doing quite a number of different things, been a teacher, been a writer, been uh, you know traveling around a good bit so you know you've had your fingers in lots of different pies here but um curious to know as a teacher and leader in our field if you feel that being a woman has held you back or in any places or what challenges that you feel like you've had that men may not have had personally i don't think i've had any challenges based on my gender mm-hmm. <laughs> um i'm not one to usually let things get in my way so when i set my sights on something i go for it and and, you know, I have to say pretty much make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I do recall when I first started as an educator, I saw there was this company, I won't mention names, a lotion company, and they had an announcement or a flyer that they would use um, at trade shows mm-hmm. and in their advertisements in the magazines. And I remember it was always uh, quotes of men, male yeah. educators. Yeah. And I saw them at a trade show and I went to them and I said, why, what, you know, why don't you have any female educators here? And the woman, it was a woman I was speaking with. And she said, well, we're, we're, tr- we're working on that. Mm-hmm. Well, that was years and years ago. And I said, okay, well, if you want to work on it, consider highlighting me. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when it really, I, it, my recollection, that's when I really noticed the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, my background, my degree is in rehab therapy. And so rehab, it was at that point, predominantly male, but then my minor was in dance movement and dance Mm -hmm. is predominantly female. So I really just, you know, never really put two and two together thinking is, is it more male dominant? Of course, over the years, people mentioned that. And then I started seeing, yeah, that was happening out there. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I have and this is sort of my, my perception on it is that, that, you know, there are a lot of women leaders in some of our professional associations and some of the different organizations throughout our profession. But when you talk about a lot of the people who have some of the more prominent visibility as continuing education educators, just like you were talking about with that particular uh, advertising um, campaign that was engaged. And I think I know the one that you're talking about. I do remember. <laughs> I think you might've well. been on there. <laughs> Actually, I wasn't on there. Um, But I do recall that, um, uh, you know, I had some issues, some of the very same issues that you did with that. Um, So I, but one of the things that I'm curious about for for your take on this is that, you know, in asking this question in some of the social media, um, you know, groups and things like that, about why is this perception around there? Because there doesn't seem to be as many women that are the sort of the prominent visible educators. Some of the responses have been, well, it's more challenging and difficult for women to get out on the road and do this whole kind of thing. And, and um, I'm curious to hear your take on that because you've been doing this a long time and you've been doing those things. And, and do you think that that's a challenge that maybe keeps a greater number of women from being more 
visible and prominent in doing that kind of that kind of thing? Well, I have been doing it for a number of years, starting before I was married, before I had kids. Obviously, over the years, um, family comes into play. But I think it's not specific to any industry. It's the women typically are in charge, in charge, air quotes, of the kids and the family mm-hmm. and the home, in addition to their career. Yeah. Well, I was really fortunate. And when I got married, my husband and I chatted about this and he didn't love his job. I love what I do. I love it. And I was not willing to give it up. I was willing to modify it a little bit, but he was like, you know what? I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) And he's better at grocery shopping and cooking and all of, you know, the typical female stuff than I am anyway. So we co co parented, we co ran the house and he what he, the fact that I had him as sort of my support team, I call him my pit crew, like in car racing, he literally allowed me to have this, the freedom, the space, the ability to travel. Yeah. Now I did curtail it a little bit and now my kids are pretty much out of the house. So I am ramping up this year to be able to travel more yeah. for that very reason. So yeah, yeah. family plays into it. So that support network, I think, is is absolutely crucial. I think that plays into it for so many people. So because those have been traditionally more female roles around, you know, managing all those things that you're talking about with with the home environment there, it seems like that could potentially play into, uh, you know, what makes it more difficult to get out on the road and do all those things being away from home. That wouldn't necessarily necessarily stop as many women from being very active, for example, in association work or some of those other positions that might not entail a great deal of travel. So I can see how that might be one of those things that would differ a little bit. So uh, I'm curious if you have ever felt like you've spoken at a number of conferences, conventions and things like that, and probably shared the stage with a larger number of male presenters, as we mentioned, who are doing those kinds of things. Do you feel like that has ever had any kind of impact on the audience's perception of your programs, your content, your you know, production or anything like that um, in, in any other kind of way? Do you mean because it was possibly compared to what the male Yes. Counterparts were yeah. offering. Hmm. You know, I never really thought about it. I, I think what's most important in the massage industry is there are more female practitioners mm-hmm. than males. So what I hear a lot is women come up to me and they're appreciative. They thank me for sort of being this role model. I actually just had a gal yesterday tell me as a business owner in a therapy clinic, she said, you're where I want to be. Yeah. You have a kid, you know, kids, you have a family and you're able to be successful. So I don't know if they compare it and think, is it as good or, you know, but they, they see themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think they really appreciate that because obviously I have a different perspective than a male does being not only a business owner, but a clinician as well, you know, in practice. Yeah. So in terms of like, as I mentioned earlier, you've done some wonderful things throughout your career here with, you know, publishing, teaching you know, getting a lot of these kinds of things out here. Do you feel like there's any, um, like what have been sort of the key things that have really been the driver behind your success and doing the things that you do that you've accomplished? Is there anything in particular that you feel like is really um, either a unique skill set or unique factor that you've brought to your that your work to help make you so successful doing what you're doing? I have to thank my parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they were they were the type of parents that said, no matter what you want to do, put your mind to it, make it happen. And if you yeah. fail, whatever, it's just 
you just keep moving on. And mm-hmm. they were never judgmental or, or, you know, I always knew I had that support. And so it allowed me the freedom to be able to just go for it and not be nervous uh, if it didn't work. And I am very straightforward. I'm pretty to the point. I suppose if we were looking at gender differences, and it's kind of funny because my dad is one of the world's experts on gender identification. I don't know if you if you know that. I did but, not know that. So you're gonna have to tell me a little bit about that. So yeah. But but you know, so if you look at my characteristics, aside from like the baubles and stuff, uh-huh. I, I tend to be very masculine in my energy. I've been told that a mm-hmm. lot. Um and so in a, in business situations, I tend to be more straightforward. I ask for what I want. I go after what I want. I don't tend to sit back and be passive. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that has allowed me to, to keep moving forward. I'm okay hearing no. I just go a different direction or I go around it or I go under it. You know, I don't let it devastate me like I think happens in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've had a lot of personal uh, physical challenges over my years, and it's made me stronger. So I think that really, the ability to, to, to choose a course, go after it. And if it doesn't work out, keep going is what serves me and will serve anybody. Because again, if we, you know, we just have to keep going, yeah, keep getting up and moving forward. Yeah. I, and I think those qualities that you mentioned that, that um, sort of dedicated perseverance about moving forward really is just critical for anybody doing these kinds of things. But it, it also sounds like you've really had a unique blend of backgrounds and experiences and, and influences early on that helped mold those qualities uh, in you that really helped you get to where you are. So yeah, bottom line, don't take it personally, mm-hmm. whether it's a no from a client or a no from a book publisher or a no from a conference you know, get a director gathering speakers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Next. Right. Yeah. So good. You mentioned like some of the, uh, you know, this, you said someone was talking to you yesterday about, you know, appreciating what you've done and how you've been kind of a role model. Do you have any sort of advice for other women, uh, other women interested in pursuing this as maybe teachers or, you know, CE educators or getting into some other kinds of leaders, leadership positions. Do you have sort of any uh, particular advice or suggestions for them about how to, how to make that happen for them? I think it, it goes along the same line as what makes a business successful. So an educator, a presenter, an author, just like in anything has to stand out from the crowd. What defines your uniqueness and unless they've identified what that is, what makes their approach, their insight, their perspective unique, it's gonna be a whole lot harder because then they're just competing with the masses. Mm-hmm. And so to really identify what, what, is their, what is it that they bring that's unique to the marketplace? What insight, what advice, what strategy? In my case, again, you know, like <laughs> I, I flip everything on its head. So even in how I run our clinic, it's, it's the opposite. For example, the concept of open to the public, which is how I started my practice. It's how most people start their practice, taking anybody and everybody and being as booked solid as possible. Well, that's the advice I got when I first started in business. That's what I followed. Well, now over the years, what I teach, what I present on is the complete opposite. 
you're, you don't want to be book solid. You want to only have a few appointments with your dream clients. You're not a, open to the public practice. You're what I coined the term a precise private practice. So these are things that, in, that I've ad, uh, ad, adopted over the years just based on my life experiences. But now I teach that and that's what I bring out. And that's what people come to me and say, hey, would you teach a course on this or write an article on it because of my unique perspective? So the, the, the answer to your question, Whitney, is what is it that you're going to bring that's different from everybody else? So that is essentially, you know, I, what I'm kind of hearing is talking a lot more about sort of that, that idea of niching, your niching, 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 however you want to say it in, the, in, our, in our country, <laughs> your practice, finding that ideal small scale niche that's ideal for what you want to be doing. And is that, is that what I'm hearing that, that, that you feel As like a- is a really that it has to be there as, as a teacher, as an author, as a presenter, as a CE provider, because again, there's a zillion people teaching basic stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you want to compete with a zillion people, great, keep going. But if you, if you want to have an easier time, find out what your niche is, if yeah. it's, you know, and even, you know, within the massage industry, that's still very broad. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for example, when I, when I teach continuing education, from a clinical standpoint, I focus on pain relief and injury rehabilitation and, and improve function and performance. That's my niche. My niche is not relaxation or de-stressing or lymphatic or, you know, those clinical goals can be taught by somebody else. That's not my thing. It's not what I know. It's not what I prefer to teach on. Yeah. So, you know, and we could even take that and go more and more and more narrow. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, you know, a lot of people, and this, this, I think it cuts across the board with both women and men may feel like they need to, you know, emulate or mimic what other people have done that has been successful and feel like, well, I got to be like so-and-so who's doing this kind of particular type of work. And, and I think what I hear you saying is it's, it's far more important to find out who you are and what your unique gifts are in, in order to make those, those things successful for you. Absolutely. From, from the content that you're teaching to the way you present it, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, what, just like a simple thing, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be on this zoom interview. What am I going to wear? Mm-hmm. Well, even what I wear is yeah. different than 99.9% of the people who present in the therapy industry. They're work, wearing, you know, either casual clothes or scrubs or workout stuff. And it's like, well, that's not my it's not my brand, if you yeah, will, you right. know? Yeah. Do you feel like you have had to maybe work harder in something like that about, you know, imaging or something like that than other people might have, for example, you know, and, and again, we're sort of talking about male and female issues here, but do you feel like you have had possibly had to, to do things that, that men wouldn't have to, because they would be more easily accepted in casual attire, for example. Yeah. I do think women are judged more on their appearance for sure. There's no question about it. Yeah. So I'm curious to to know also, since we've been talking a lot about, you know, some of these differences amongst um, CE educators at some of the major uh, events, conferences and things like that. Do you have any things that you would say to those of us who are male participants at those events that would be ways that we could help shift or change some of the perceptions that are out there to, I would love to see a greater representation of, of women at a lot of these events and things where there's, you know, a lot of discussion of, you know, who's the popular teachers kind of thing, whether that's, you know, who appears on the magazine covers or who is appearing at the conferences or those kinds of things. 
you know, what kind of, do you know any sort of suggestions that would be beneficial for us, the other male practitioners doing these things to maybe help out to make that happen? I think the biggest thing is to support the women who deserve to be supported. Mm -hmm. You know, each, each of you as male experts that the community goes to, your voice is loud, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, introducing a female provider who may not be as well known to the magazine publishers or the conference directors, that kind of thing, I think will go a heck of a long way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've tried to, you know, over the years, call attention to some of those great practitioners. You know, I've had some um, women that were assisting me teaching in the classroom who were doing absolutely outstanding jobs and really tried to make a point of, of, you know, calling attention to that so that they can sort of help move forward in, in some of their careers. Cause I do think that there's oftentimes bigger hurdles and challenges in, in making some of those kinds of things happen, but so, so important, I think, to help encourage those things uh, in any ways we can. So I appreciate your input on, on any of those kinds of things as well. Well, I want to applaud the, the wonderful ways in which you've taken those lessons throughout your life and, and done some, some wonderful things with um, the accomplishments that you've made throughout your career. So, and I think there's probably a whole lot more to come from you. So that's good as well. Um, I will hope. And uh, I really appreciate having the opportunity to discuss some of these things with you today. Any last thoughts or uh, things that you'd like to share with our uh, listeners on, on this topic? You know, bottom line, if you, you as the listener believe that you can contribute, go for it. Yeah. I think that's a great lesson for anyone there about Mm -hmm. that. So, all right. Well, wonderful. Thank you again so much for your time. And um, we will, um, look into, continue to look into some of these issues. And I hope shine some lights, um, some light on these things um, to help bring some greater equality and greater visibility for the wonderful group of talented practitioners in our field. So thanks again so much. Well, thank you both. Yeah. Great talking with you about that. Take care. Thank you. Okay. The Thinking Practitioner Podcast is supported by ABMP, the Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership gives professional practitioners like you a package including individual liability insurance, free continuing education, and quick reference apps, legislative advocacy, and much more. ABMP CE courses, podcast, and massage and bodywork magazine always feature expert voices and new perspectives in the profession, including ones from both Till and me. Thinking practitioner listeners can save on joining the ABMP at abmp.com forward slash thinking. We would like to say a thank you to all of our sponsors and listeners. Thanks for hanging out with us here today. Hope we gave you some things to think about. You can stop by our sites for show notes, transcripts, and extras. You can find that over on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com and also over on TILS at advanced-trainings.com. Please do also send us any questions or things you'd like to hear us talk about. Email us at info at or look for us on social media under our names. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts as it helps other people find the show, and you can hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you happen to listen. And please do share the word and tell a friend. And thanks so much again for listening.